This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hello, everybody. Welcome to If You Don't Mind, um, another week for many of us in isolation. Um, but good news is that, well, at least here in Australia, we're starting to have um, some of our restrictions lifted, which is very exciting. Yeah, I think we're just very, we're all very excited to be able to go out and see our friends again, because as you know, you know, social interaction is, is so important um, for our mental health and our well-being. So, Oh, I have seen a few friends over the last few weeks and I just have enjoyed it so much. It's been so, so fun. Um, but I digress. We're here for another episode. On today's episode, I speak to the absolutely beautiful Taylor. Um, Taylor, I think out of every guest I've ever interviewed, was the most prepared and sincere and just wanted to get her story across, not because she wanted to tell it, but because she really wanted her lessons learned um, out there to help other people, which I thought was so cool. Like she just really, really cared about how her story was coming across. And I really appreciate that because, you know, I I want to do well with this podcast and I want people to listen to it and feel like they're getting something out of it. And it's great when you're interviewing a guest who has the same kind of view and, um, you know, aspirations when it comes to this, this kind of thing. So thank you, Taylor, for being so amazing. So in this episode, uh, Taylor and I talk about her experiences with anorexia nervosa, which she developed when she was just uh, in year 10, so 16 years old, um, and how that's kind of shaped uh, the last few years of her, um, of her life. Um, she talks about she also talks about her experiences with anxiety and de- and depression and how both anorexia and, and those two mental health conditions kind of came to a head and how she then um, went about on her recovery journey after that. So in terms of a trigger warning, as I said, we talk about anorexia nervosa, anxiety, depression. Um, we also talk about suicide and self-harm. So if those things are... Um, you know, something you can't listen to today, that's fine. You don't have to come back when and if you're ready. Let's do it. Let's let's get this episode going. Um, this is Taylor. I hope you like it. Beautiful. Oh, yes, that audio is sounding nice today. Okay. Um, Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. I 
am so excited every time a person reaches out and wants to be on the show. It just gives me the biggest dose of joy and happiness. And I'm like, yeah, people, people care and they want to chat to me. It's so nice. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, I think what you're doing is just amazing. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, I think what's even more amazing is people like yourself, um, finding that really incredible courage to, you know, literally tell their story to all these people they've never met before. I find that amazing and very empowering. So thank you to you. Oh, nerve wracking, definitely. But (laughs) it is empowering. It's so empowering. I think, um, I've said this before, when you tell your story and when you kind of let it go out there and sit in the universe, it's kind of quite cathartic because you kind of, it's like another step in Definitely. Your, your recovery journey. Like you're kind of, you're, you're understanding and outlining what's happened to you and kind of moving past it in a way, not completely, but it's just, you know, it, it makes you feel a little bit more like whole, I guess, is the best way to explain it. Yeah, definitely. And I think just that fact of like opening up, you know, a little bit more about it can like just always be therapeutic in that way. Like, you know, it becomes, it's a part of you. So, Mm. but it's also a part of you that's hard to talk to, you know, in general conversation. So I, I think being able to open up in this way where it's comfortable and welcomed is, yeah, absolutely a good idea. Yeah. And I think with other, I mean, there's obviously a million different podcasts in the world. And I think the thing about this that's different is obviously the people who are listening to it are listening to it because they care about this topic. It's, it's not necessarily for entertainment. It's for kind of, you know, understanding, like it sounds lame, but kind of understanding your fellow human and kind of understanding the, the, you know, the experiences of others. So I think it's a very, accepting warm place and I want it to be that way if that makes sense oh absolutely like I you know obviously I can relate to a lot of the stories but I equally enjoy listening to the ones that you know I have nothing in common with but just learning about you know other people's experiences and what other people might be going through like I think you know more people should be doing it oh a hundred percent I agree I think when you when you get to hear about someone else's experiences, it kind of, it sets you up in a way to look at the world a little bit differently. I think every time you hear something else or a different perspective, a different point of view, a different narrative to your own, it allows you to to see the world differently, which is very important because otherwise you don't grow, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. We could talk about this for hours, but (laughs) talk about you. Um, So I guess I was you know, thinking of the best way to start off this, this show and basically our chat. And I think I kind of want to read out something specifically that you kind of wrote um, in one of your emails to me. And you wanted to, you, you highlighted to me that you wanted to speak about your experiences with um, anorexia nervosa. Um, yeah. And I think that the really interesting thing you said to me was that you want to express um, the mental side of anorexia and the fact that it isn't just about weight or someone or how someone looks on the outside, which I think was really cool because I mean, that's kind of all we see, right? Like when you turn yeah. on TV and you, and you like, there's that show. Remember that show that was on Netflix. It was called like, Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I don't even know. And it got so much yeah. black cause it's kind of like this very stock standard kind of thing of like a girl 
stops eating and she gets skinnier and she hates her body and people try yeah. to help her. But there's just so many more layers to that. Exactly. Um, and I really, really am interested to kind of hear your opinions and and hear and hear about your experiences with with being diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and, and how you've kind of gone through the whole I guess in a in a sense recovery period with that um so yeah I would I would just love you to tell us everything yeah. everything you want to share with us that would be amazing yeah well so I my diagnosis was when I was 15 and I was in high school in year 10 mm-hmm and um, I, this was, I got taken to the doctors by my mum and it was my mum and dad were with me at the time and it was due to the fact that I had lost so much weight mm. in quite a short period of time too. Like um, it began gradual but then it was kind of, I think once your metabolism kicks in, you lose it quite quickly after that. Yep. So I dropped a lot of weight and um, I got taken to the doctors and I got weighed and I admitted to the doctor that I wasn't eating, which was a really huge thing for me. It was um, something I thought I would take to the grave kind of thing. Like I just felt that, you know, it was one of those secrets that I could just keep forever and no one would have to know and it wouldn't harm anyone. Mm. So, um, yeah, I got diag- I got diagnosed with uh, anorexia and I got offered the option to go to hospital because my weight was at the level that I should be um, admitted into hospital mm-hmm. or I could choose like the harder route, I guess, where you go on an eating plan and you put on weight gradually, but like obviously it's by eating food rather than it just being through a tube, which... Yep. I think um, for a lot of anorexic patients, that is a lot harder because, you know, already in your mind you have this fear and anxiety surrounding eating. Mm. And I think also it kind of takes, you know, the whole control aspect away from it. Like I felt like I had such control when I was, you know, restricting my eating and things like that. So the idea of being put on a plan and being told what I was I had to eat was really confronting and shocking. And do you think that the re- – so, I mean, I guess one of my questions would be, did you feel like you needed that control when it came to what you ate and, your, and controlling your weight because you felt like you didn't have control over everything else in your life? Is, is that kind of where mm-hmm. it started? Yeah, absolutely. That was pretty much the root of it, definitely. I had a – little bit of family stuff going on my parents were working away and I was um swapping between my grandparents house which it was you know a normal living situation I guess but Mm. I just with my anxiety and my stress it just I wasn't coping with it unknowingly though like I didn't I didn't really realize at the time that that's probably what was causing it Mm. I guess um, when you're younger you don't always have that insight you kind of just like I'm stressed and worried but I can't quite put my finger on it exactly yeah and I definitely was already an anxious child and I was always super insecure and self-conscious my entire life so Mm. even I remember like that stemming back to like you know primary school days kind of thing just being really anxious about my body and things like that so I think with it all mixed in, it just didn't work out in my favour. 
Mm. But yeah, so um, I was diagnosed and I guess between the time of my diagnosis and the time I was at a healthy weight again was a really short period of time. Um, I think I was on, it only took me about 12 months to get up to a healthy weight. But um, the issue with this was that I was doing it in an unhealthy way. Um, after my first weight gain, I didn't cope at all and I took to binge eating just because it was my way of punishing myself. Right. So I guess a way of harming your body was to kind of then start binging. Exactly, yeah. And I just felt really out of control with everything. And um, I guess I was kind of hurt that, like, you know, the people I loved were making me do something I didn't want to do. So mm. it was kind of a way to get it back at them as well, which just sounds awful. But, no, you know, it that's, sense. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of just the illness in itself really is that you kind of lose a lot of perspective. And so, yeah, I was binge eating a lot. And so my weight gain was really rapid. And already with um, anorexia, as other people who've had it will know, is that when you put on weight, your body does look a lot different than it did before because, um like pre-anorexia I mean because um the you know the weight clings to certain parts of your body that it might not have before yeah and it can like almost pull I guess like you know you can have like a belly where you didn't before even when you're at a healthy weight and things like that so yeah that was a really big shock to my system definitely I understand that I mean very different, very different. But when I put on weight after taking antidepressants, it's quite, it was quite rapid. So you kind of look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, I don't know who this person is. Exactly. I bet my body look this way. It can be very jarring. It is absolutely. And like for someone who is already so focused on how they look and Mm. you know, what food is doing to them, it was, yeah, a really negative thing for me, unfortunately, which just didn't help my relationship with food at all. Did you, when you were binging, was it kind of like one of those things where you weren't, you weren't taking kind of joy from no, no. punishing yourself? Exactly. And that's the thing, like I was using food as a punishment, which I had never done before. Like, you know, pre my diagnosis, I was, I grew up in a really healthy family and we all really love food. Mm. and enjoy eating good food so this was all really new ground for me and it just felt awful to be honest like I you know I've never felt that way of like I get I lost control over it as well which was hard like I even when I could say to myself I don't want to do binge like I don't want to binge anymore like I know it's hurting me Mm. it kind of fell into a habit and you know I didn't really have control over it which was the scariest part as well Oh, I can, yeah, that would that would be so intense to kind of have such overwhelming feelings about something and, and yeah. feel like you're kind of driven to do it even though you don't really want to. Exactly. I can only imagine how, like, confusing that would be to kind of not want to eat but want to punish yourself with food. Like, that just yeah. sounds like a very exhausting, like, mental process to be involved in. It is, absolutely. And due to like my um, being ashamed of it and things like that, Mm. I really didn't reach out to my family or anyone around me at all about it. 
Yeah. So I, yeah, it kind of just led me feeling so isolated and disgusted and just all these horrible things. But what I didn't realize also at the time is that it's actually really common with anorexia patients to like fall into a binging, like binge eating pattern. Mm. So had I known that, I think it would have taken the burden off a little bit, but still, you know, I wasn't thinking straight and things like that. So I was just, yeah, like very unhappy. I not long after this um, got diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety, which was also another big shock to the system, I guess. You know, once I had put on the weight, I wasn't allowed to lose the weight again. And I wasn't wow. at school. I had to drop out of year 10. So, yeah, I was just feeling like my most ever lost in my life I've ever been. So. Oh, my God. I can only imagine. And you were only 16. Like, yeah, there's yeah. so much to go through for such a young person. Definitely. I know. Like, it felt like a whirlwind, really. Like, yeah. Some days it would feel like it was going forever and I just, you know, wanted to get out of it as quickly as I could. And then... Other days, yeah, it just kind of flew by where I was just like each day was just as out of control, especially, you know, losing all my friends. And I was um, quite good and played a lot of netball at the time, but I had to stop playing that because I obviously wasn't allowed to exercise. Hmm. So it kind of went from, you know, being a normal or average teenager to like, you know, isolated at home and just have no idea what I'm going to do. Yeah, like everything has been flipped upside down and you don't have that structure anymore, I guess, which is also Mm -hmm. very important for young people. Like we say we hate school, but in some ways we kind of need it because it just gives us structure and routine and socialization. And that's just been taken away from you. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was very intense. And I look back to that 16 year old and I just think, oh my God, like, I cannot believe that, you know, it just all happened so quickly. And like, I think also, I think I feel sorry for myself in the way that I never meant for it to happen. Like it wasn't something any person necessarily chooses. Like it starts off so innocently And before you know it, you don't really have control over the situation, which is also a really scary thing to go through. Mm, No, 100%. Because I think, uh, yeah, you've mentioned to me previously that, you know, you weren't, all you were wanting to do was feel comfortable in your body um, again. And it's just, it obviously went down this completely different road that you didn't expect. And no, I don't, I don't think, yeah, any, I don't think we should ever say a person has intentionally done that. Um, it's no, exactly. obviously you're reacting to your environment and your circumstances and this is just a way of coping. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was also something I definitely wanted to broach was yeah. the fact that, um, you know, a lot of people do look at people with anorexia nervosa and feel like it's an intentional choice, like why can't they just eat? And yep. I, actually, I actually had um, my ex-partner, he, when I first met him when I was sick he even said to me like I thought it was just like a disease that stops you from eating like he didn't even realize you know the mental side of it yeah which was like just him his lack of knowledge like it wasn't intentional and he wasn't being rude it was just the fact that you know people don't have any knowledge around it so yeah I felt I got a lot of um you know, comments from strangers or friends or family members. 
Yeah, and I don't think it was ever intended to be nasty, but a lot of people did assume that I was choosing it and that I they were kind of just like, why are you causing all this fuss and this hurt when you could just eat? Like, you know, it's not that big a deal. That would have been so difficult to hear because, like, you in your mind would probably just be thinking, I am doing my best to yeah. try and get this, you know, under control. And if anything, comments like that would just literally push you further back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I do remember feeling like a uh, feeling such angst whenever I went out because of like the stares you get and you know comments like that and it was yeah really awful especially in the beginning when I was at my thinnest you know people look at you like you're an alien which was really shocking like I never the other thing with anorexia is that you don't really notice how you look. You mm. can look in the mirror and see yourself a completely different way. So, you know, when people are staring at me and, you know, obviously kids don't really understand, so, like, they're looking at you like you're an alien. Um, yeah, so I that was a big shock. But then when I started um, binging and putting on weight, it was even harder for me to go out because I would have people make comments like, oh, you look so much better now and, wow, you've put on weight, that's really good, you look good. And I was just, I remember just every time someone said to me, oh, you look really good, it was just like, oh, my God, they're calling me fat. Like, I can't believe that, you know, I've done this. And, you know, unfortunately when people are trying to be positive and helpful I like you know it can be spun a completely different way when you're that sick and yeah you have your you have your brain telling you something completely different I agree I think it was it's very interesting I was actually having a similar conversation with a friend last night and that is as humans we're just not very good at admitting that something is shit and sitting with it like yeah. a person is going through a crap time it's it's almost our first response to sit, like to find a positive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so yeah. They're obviously kind of, you know, they've seen you put on weight and without them thinking about how, you know, that's going to impact you, it's yeah. how can we spin this in a way that's good? Like my yeah. friend, for example, had to, um, the poor thing had to, to postpone her wedding um, because of COVID and it's caused her so much stress and anxiety and, you know, people keep saying to her, oh, you know, when you get married, you're, it's going to be that much better because you, you've had to wait longer for it. And it's like, no, this is it's no. a thing. Like no one wants to have done that. And See, my, I have trained my family to be so much better at this because it took so long for, you know, when someone's sad around you, it's your instinct to want to fix it. But mm. I literally had to train the people around me to be like, just accept the fact that like, you know, when I say something, they don't have to make it better or they don't have to try to, you know, make a plan. Like they can just be like, yeah, that really sucks because yeah. Yeah. sometimes that shows more support than, you know, trying to fix it. Like I, you know, especially when you're feeling so helpless and you've already gone through all the plans in your head, you really don't want to have to be, you know, pretending like oh yes maybe I will try that and, <laughs> you know like, like I, 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 of it, yeah 
I know. And I always felt like I, coming out of those conversations that I ended up just trying to make them feel better about making me feel better. Mm. So I, it was I, just this tricky situation. But, yes, I've definitely broached that with a lot of people around me that you don't have to fix everything. No, just let um, people sit with it uh, and yeah. that it is shitty and be like, if I can help you in any way, tell me. Like exactly. those two things, admitting, yes, it's shit and being like, yes. I'm going to support you, whatever, is yeah the most powerful thing I think you can do. I mean, obviously it would be great if you could give us like lots of money and like research. (laughs) I mean, that would also be really great. Um, had a better system, but in terms of just like your, your support network, those are so important. I think it's also, I think it's also interesting. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but I feel like when I was younger, I heard men in my life, mostly older men, um, not necessarily my family, just, but people, around me always say that, you know, anorexia was this disease. It was like a disease that affected young kind of girls who cared too much about their bodies and, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm, I always wonder, is it, is it this kind of internalized misogyny that we have as a society that we just, we, every time a woman is unwell, we find a way to blame it on her and we can't yeah. just say that actually society is the issue, her circumstances are the issue. She's reacting to a very, very difficult position and that is to, you know, always be beautiful and attainable. And especially the fact that, you know, there is still that point of view that it's just a disease that stops you from eating or you just stop eating and lose a lot of weight. Like yep. I don't think people really realise how much of an intense um mental illness it is like how much of a toll it takes on your mental health and Mm. you know all of that sort of stuff and how long it can affect you for like I said to you previously um about it not just being what weight you are because I was diagnosed probably about six years ago and I still might have a I had a recent appointment with my doctor Mm. And he still feels that it's a relevant diagnosis for me currently because of just the way um, it affects my, you know, how I think and my relationship with food and also like my opinion of my body and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of the time it is just diagnosed or it is just thought of when it's a skinny person who looks like, you know, super underweight. Yes. A lot of people don't realize, like, you know, it doesn't always, you don't always have to be super thin to be struggling in that way. Oh, I agree. There's actually really interesting, um, because I listened to uh, spoken word poetry because I'm a big nerd. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a really good one about, and a woman does, and she's actually herself, uh, she's uh, overweight or identifies as as a fat woman, and she has... Uh, anorexia because yeah. although although she doesn't appear you know emaciated and, and skinny she still yeah. has that that thought pro- it's about your thought process I guess right exactly like, it is absolutely yeah. yeah and I think that definitely was the hardest part like being underweight obviously wasn't ideal and it wasn't good for my body and it definitely did a lot of harm however you know the mental side of it was what actually affected me and what you know, um, yeah, what sent me into my depression and things like that. Like it wasn't just being thin and 
the fear of food, I guess. It was the whole outlook on myself and mm. my body and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Like it takes a lot on a person. Wow. You, I mean, you, you're, yeah, you're amazing. I think you're <laughs> incredibly brave for, for going through that and being able to speak about it so candidly is so important because I think, you know, I, I just, I want young, young women and men to know that this is a really, really serious thing. And, you know, it's not just a, a person who looks skinny and who's like looking sad in a mirror. It's so complex um, yeah. and so important to talk about. Um, I guess I kind of wanted to to touch on, so you, you spoke about how when you began to kind of put on weight again and, and, and you were binging and you went through a, a pretty bad uh, patch of depression what was yeah. what kind of happened throughout that that period of your life? Were you were you beginning to see a psychologist? Was it particularly a difficult time for you? Um, it absolutely was horrific. Like it was the you know the worst I've ever felt, and I didn't. I none of my family really had experienced mental health prior to this, so. Yeah. You know, it was a it was a big shock for me too. I had never seen it, I had never felt it or anything like this. But um, I definitely, yeah, I was quite isolated at home, and I didn't, I avoided all social interaction. Um, mm. It kind of forced me to push my family away a bit. Like I was still living at home and living with them, obviously, but. I wasn't really communicating with anyone and I just didn't understand it, which was really hard. But I um, had attempted to see a few psychologists, but um, I don't know if it's like this for many other people, but I just found it, you know, impossible to talk to anyone about my situation. Mm. I really, like, every single time I'd walk into that office, no matter you know, what my mind frame was going into the appointment, I would completely close up and I would have a huge meltdown. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't talk about the situation, no matter where I was at during the process, like I just couldn't at all. Mm. So it kind of became clear after seeing, I think I ended up seeing like eight different psychologists Wow. Yeah, that it just wasn't getting anywhere. And, you know, my mum was just like, it's not helping her at all. Mm. But I I was taking an antidepressant and um, I think, oh, and I was taking Seroquel at the time to help me sleep. Mm -hmm. So I was taking that for a little while, but it was a kind of, um, it was once I started taking it steadily after I stopped avoiding it, um, it definitely helped a little bit, but I don't think my dosage was right. Yep. So um, after a little while of struggling and being isolated at home, I decided to attempt to take my own life. Wow. Um, yeah, and that was a real that was a very jarring experience for sure. So sure. I, yeah, I went straight into my mum and my brother found out, and they took me straight to hospital. Mm -hmm. and um, it was a very weird situation when I got into the emergency centre, actually. Like, um, I don't know. I don't know whether it was handled properly or not, but I think it was also, like, my lack of communication. I wouldn't tell them how much I had taken or anything like that. So I actually spent a lot of time in the waiting room after yeah. I had over Yeah, which was really odd. 
until they took me in for an ECG, which is like one of those heart scans. Mm, mm. Yeah, which again was a horrible experience for me, having to take my top off and expose myself where I had been covered up for the last at least year or about six months actually. Um, I hadn't showed my body to anyone. so Wow, I didn't even think of that. That yeah, was that such was, a big thing. It was absolutely awful and I just laid there crying because I was just so, I was so confronting and embarrassing. And, yeah, so I had um, an ECG scan and um, after a little while they came back and said that my heart rate wasn't normal and they were worried I was going to go into cardiac arrest. Jesus. So, yeah, so I spent, um, I went, uh, they got me a room and I went up and because I was under 18, I was in the children's ward, mm. which again was just so bizarre, like being in a butterfly painted room after you had just attempted to take your own life. And, you know, you can hear babies crying in the background. It was very odd. Very odd. Yeah, so um, I spent two nights in there after my heart started to settle and it was back to normal. And I saw a psychiatrist in hospital who then admitted me to the mental health unit, the psychiatric hospital. Mm. So, yeah, I spent, I was out of hospital for a couple of weeks until I went into the psychiatric hospital for the next five weeks. Okay. And I mean, so that was there's a big break between the two. Um, were you kind of during that period between, you know, getting, uh, going to the ER and getting admitted, were you really nervous about going into hospital or were you kind of just like, you know what, I don't know what to do. Take me. Yeah. Um, I do remember, I do remember like a few appointments cause it's almost like you have to get interviewed to go into one. It was really weird. Wow. And I do remember at that time being absolutely petrified because, yeah. you know, I had only, I had all these images of my head, like, you know, the psychiatric hospitals you see on movies where. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I was just like, I think, which sounds silly, but I think going into one of these, it was like admitting I was sick, which obviously I had been for a long time, but you know, it was like officially like stopping everything and, you know, really focusing on it. And that was also a very confronting thing for me. Of course. I can only, because I guess you're trying, you've been trying to avoid for so long coming to terms with that. Exactly. And then to to have to say, yes, this is the problem I have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was hard for everyone. Like my whole family were really um, shell-shocked by the whole situation and, you know, my parents were just trying to do right by me and they didn't know whether going into hospital was the right thing but no one knew what else to do. So, yeah, I went in and I was there for five weeks and over as soon as I got admitted, like my first day, I got put on a new antidepressant which was about triple my previous dose. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I got taken off the Seroquel too because I wasn't taking it um, regular, which was affecting me more so apparently. So, um, yeah, I dropped one of my meds and I got up to my antidepressants. And, yeah, to be honest, that was pretty well all that came out of my hospital stay because I wasn't doing – I was going to groups, but I wasn't talking because they just – 
made me super uncomfortable. Mm. So, um, yeah, I kind of avoided all my appointments and my groups and things like that. I think it was definitely good for the period of time, the five weeks to let the medication settle in. I think it was good to be in a safe place for that time being. Yeah. Because, yeah, I obviously wasn't at all mentally stable. So I think that was definitely, you know, a positive reason for being in there. But, yeah, I kind of came out of it um, a bit lost, really. Like, I'm sure a lot of people have felt this way where it's almost like you feel like you're being kicked to the curb and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. now you've got to deal with it and get your life back on track. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that is one of the, the hardest things. I mean, I myself have, have not um, uh, had treatment in a psychiatric facility, but I know many people who have kind of come out and they're like, well, what do I do now? Yeah, like, exactly. That's exactly my, what I felt yeah. like. What are, what's my next move? Yeah, definitely. And that was really uncomfortable for me again. So I kind of just went back home and took it day by day like I didn't go straight back into work because obviously I wasn't feeling well you know I wasn't on top of the world and bouncing off the walls or anything like that but I was just no. steady and stable <laughs> if only there was a pill that could do that for us but yeah, I would buy yeah. it my money <laughs> exactly so yeah I kind of um it was just keeping me steady enough to baby steps and um reconnect with my family and you know reach out for their help I became a lot closer to one of my friends and you know she was incredible and you know she was someone I could really open up to which was helpful as well because I felt you know the people in my close inner circle and my family were far too close to the situation and almost too emotionally involved I feel like Mm. It's very hard to talk about, you know, what's going on in your head when, like, you know, with someone who has been through it all and is so worried and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like, you don't really want to. Everything you say and you're like, oh, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it was like. So, yeah, my best friend, Arkin Tully is her name. She, um, yeah, it was just an amazing support. She, I could open up to her completely, which helped. And, you know, I was getting out of the house to see her and visit her and things like that. And um, I was with my ex-partner now, but I was, I had, it was our, like, the early stages of our relationship. Mm. And he, he was also a really great support. And I think I mentioned to you before, just having that person in your life who's quite distanced from mental health and um pretty easy going and things like that kind of just help level me out a little bit and get a bit more perspective and things like that so he was really great for that and um yeah I slowly just took it day by day and slowly started to feel comfortable enough to show my body again even just you know my ankles to begin with and wow yeah, I actually remember to this day, like the first time my um, boyfriend saw my ankles and he was just like, oh, my God, this is super weird. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and, you know, like even that made me super uncomfortable. Like I was just so insecure and so really just still ashamed of my body. Hmm. So, 
that was something that took a very, very long time to work myself out of. Like I, you know, it took me so long to um, just feel comfortable enough in my own skin just to, you know, do everyday things like be able to go to the shops and things like that. Like it wasn't necessarily um, where general anxiety, you know, you're worried about things going on around you. It was mm. purely like about how I looked and what people would think and, you know, that's not something you you can escape or you can you know, fix in a way, like it was just, you know, my body is with me forever. So it definitely took a long time to kind of wean myself out of those thoughts enough to, you know, feel comfortable to do everyday things. I think, yeah, I mean, I said this earlier, but the, it would just be so exhausting to have to constantly be fielding those almost intrusive thoughts, right? Like that's just just getting stuck in there and they're on repeat and you just can't escape them. I mean, I know exactly what that feels like. So for you, yeah. I'll be at that place where, I mean, obviously, as you said, these these are feelings and thoughts you still have, but you're able to kind of, you know, not be completely stifled by them anymore is such an achievement. Absolutely. And I think that is definitely a misconception. Like I remember, you know, just pleading to everyone, just please take them away. Like, as long if my thoughts and you know the worries and if you can just take that away then I'll be fine Mm. but I think you know I would love to be able to spread the knowledge that they don't necessarily always go away it's more about like you know managing them better and things like that because Yeah. yeah I just remember I you know I was like I will never feel better with what's going on in my head like I can't escape this so unless you can give me something magic to take them away (laughs) I don't know how I'll ever be able to go back to everyday life whereas you know now as I said um like you know I'm I feel I'm going through a little bit of a bad patch again and but it's just a matter of you know not letting them consume you and take over your life and your routine and you know the things you do and the things you love because you know, that's when it becomes a problem. Oh, for sure. I mean, like how incredible is it that you've come from, you know, A to B and you were at that point where, and I and I understand this because I've been there too, where you literally didn't think it would ever get better and you could not see how it would and you've slowly but surely kind of got to a point where they are no longer controlling you and you've got your life back. Like exactly. it's amazing to look back and, and actually – you know, reflect on that whole thing of like, I didn't think I would ever have my life back and now I do. And it's amazing. It's so amazing to think about. And that doesn't obviously mean that it's all going to be sweet and breezy from now on. Like, as you said, you're, you're, you're currently in a, in a rough patch, but you've, you've learned all these tools. You've, you've learned all these skills that are going to allow you to kind of continue on. Like, even if you do have those dips and falls, you know, throughout yeah. the rest of your life. And that is so important that you have it, that skill set. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, it's so important for um, other people to know that, you know, it's not necessarily a matter of just fixing everything because that task is just so huge. Like for someone who's struggling with mental health, like the idea of fixing everything, like I just remember looking at it like that's never going to happen. Like I, Mm. you know, no matter what you say when it comes to therapy or medication, like I was just looking at everyone like 
you don't hear what goes on in my head. There's no way you can fix this. Like mm. it's so being true. It's I get yeah. that completely. Yeah, I think just taking the focus off fixing it, but and turning it to more like managing and coping, and that kind of idea definitely helped me a lot. Like you know, I I had to come to terms with I'm not going to be um a very confident person in my body like that's how I've always been Mm. and you know I can't keep waiting for the day that you know that's going to happen but it was more so with like you know coping and managing in healthy ways and seeing you know little positives and things and all that kind of stuff Mm. that you know helped me get through that really really rough patch oh yeah I mean I completely agree it's you're so right in terms of focusing not on a solution, but just kind of slowly chipping away at little mini tiny goals is so important because it just, you don't even realize it. It's you're completely blind to it in most, in most cases, but you kind of, you start at one point and all of a sudden you've improved so much in a matter of months because you weren't focusing on this end goal. You were just focusing on like today, I'm going to leave my house and I'm going to walk in the park for 10 minutes by myself. Like that was literally one of my goals. And (laughs) before you know it, you're like going on buses by yourself and you're, you're going to see a movie with a friend, like things that you never thought you could do again, or you would never do a, you'd never be comfortable doing again, um, are accessible to you. And it's, I, I don't know about you, but it's kind of a thrilling moment when you find, when you figure that out, you feel you feel so excited about the possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. And I I completely relate to that in the way of like small victories, like focusing on those small victories because it's all you can do in the moment. Like when you're so overwhelmed and tired and, you know, you just have to focus on the tiny little steps and then we'll just see where we go from there because yeah. it's all you can do. Like I still remember the first time my I – met up with two friends and my partner and I was wearing shorts for the first time ever and I remember her being like oh my god you're wearing shorts like oh my god like what is happening like (laughs) she didn't say she didn't say it directly to me she said it to her partner because she was like I don't want to startle her or anything but you know and I just remember feeling like oh my god I'm doing this like holy crap like (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking owning my shit and I'm doing what I want to do I love that I love that so much so empowering hey like when you have lost like pretty much all your independence in terms of like Mm -hmm. you know how you move in this world and you finally get it back and it's so incredibly yeah it's so amazing yeah incredible it is it is and it's also so bizarre like something I had done my entire life I'm now only just doing it again and being like oh yeah yeah it's so funny (laughs) I'm on a like I used to be like to go I I rang my friend I was like I fucking just caught the bus by myself (laughs) I know And there's nothing better than having those people around you who are like, oh, yeah, like you did it. Yeah, you did it. It's so cool. And like, I don't know about you, but I just find myself like getting super stoked when I just do very basic things. Even to this day, like I'll be like in Woolworths by myself doing a shop Mm -hmm. and I'm like, look how independent I am. Oh my goodness, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Even though you've done it, like I still am exactly the same with grocery shopping, especially now after being through a breakup, I had to learn to do it, you know, by myself again. Mm. 
but every time I go I'm just like I come out like holy crap I just did that like yeah it just as if you've just climbed the biggest mountain <laughs> and that's <laughs> the thing I think that the people have haven't experienced this and I, I always say to people I we don't want to go through this stuff like no one wants no. to go through a period of time where their, their mental health is you know completely obliterated but what you do get um, from it is obviously this 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 learn this lesson learned, and that is you know everything is so incredibly important, and you shouldn't take things for granted. And I think it instills this thing in you that other people don't have, and that is like you're just so lucky to be able to be doing the things you're doing. It's I it's just an overwhelming overwhelming sense of luck and 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 I don't know feeling as if you were yeah you're just so lucky is the best yeah absolutely yeah and just like a whole new appreciation for everything in life like you know it's almost yeah like I it sounds it feels very life-changing once you kind of are feeling better because yeah having that new appreciation for something as simple as like feeling happiness and joy and enjoying something Mm. you know people don't realize that it's not it's not as common as you think like some people a lot of people are really struggling with you know anxiety and depression which like debilitates them and they don't feel happiness or joy for a very long time Mm. yeah and when you get it back it's it's like nothing else it's I know lost joy to feel it again is exhilarating really absolutely definitely um Brilliant. Uh, so, Taylor, we're nearly out of time because, you know, these things go very fast when you're chatting. Um, about oh, don't they? They important I know. I was like, I was out of time. I was like, what? I know. And you feel like you get on a roll and then you're like, oh, my God, we're almost done. I know. And I can smell like, <laughs> my partner's making chicken. I'm like smelling that. I'm, like, I'm so hungry. I didn't even realize. Um, so I'll ask. Uh, my final question, and that is the one I ask everybody, and that is, I guess, to someone who is experiencing, you know, is in potentially in the throes of, of anorexia nervosa or, or is currently really struggling um, with with anorexia nervosa, what would be some advice that you would that you would like to give them in terms of, uh, you know, reaching out or getting support? I definitely. One of the biggest things for me was uh, a lot of the time during my experience with anorexia was that I shut everyone out and that included my family, that included professionals and all of my friends and it kind of just fed into that isolated feeling of being out of control and not knowing what to do and just I felt completely helpless in, you know, I was being consumed by these thoughts and what my brain was telling me and I had no one to tell otherwise because I couldn't reach out. Mm. So I guess I know it sounds like for someone, for me, if I was being told this back when I was ill, I would just be like, yeah, righto. (laughs) But I think the biggest thing is reaching out and it doesn't have to be to a professional because I know that can be really scary but or it doesn't have to be a family member because a lot of the time they are too close to the situation and that's also a very intimidating thing but just reaching out to anyone just one person in your life that you can be briefly honest to and let them know what's going on 
or how you're feeling and you don't have to go into the depths of every little thought but I think the more you do that like even after one time the relief you will feel from just not from it not being all on your shoulders and all in your own head like just letting it out a little bit I definitely think takes away its power just in the tiniest And, yeah, I think that it can be such a positive thing for anyone who's struggling with any mental illness is just to have one person in your life you can be honest with and let them know what's really going on because I know hiding a lot of myself for so long only prolonged and hurt me more. A hundred percent. I completely agree with that advice and I think you said that very eloquently. So thank (laughs) you. And it's so true, like just – just one person and it can really yeah yeah. absolutely yeah I think just a lot of my family don't know the specifics of what goes on in my life which is strange because I'm so so close to them but it was just too hard having them know everything and you know all the dark things that go on in our heads you know it's a hard thing to tell to someone who worries about you so much but Mm. having my best friend know absolutely everything and knowing that I can go to her whenever I'm having scary thoughts or whatever is just the most like, you know, the nicest feeling to not be isolated in it by myself. Mm, It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's sharing with the people that you, you actually want to and not the people that you feel like you have to, I think is. Exactly. Definitely. Amazing. Taylor, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. And I think, I mean, I myself, I have, I've, I've never really struggled that much with, um, with, with restrictive eating and I, I know people who have, who have, and I, we haven't, we haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. And I'm, I'm really, really thankful that you've come on and, and told your story. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. No problem. Thanks Taylor. Welcome back guys. I hope you liked that one. I think Taylor did a really good job of you know, explaining her lessons learned and really touching on this whole idea that, you know, anorexia nervosa is, is not just, is a much more complex, complex illness that we often understand. I think most of us just think of it as a person losing weight and not wanting to eat, but it's, it's so much more complex than that. And so much more, um, nuanced than that. And I think Taylor did a really good job of explaining it to, to myself and hopefully you also um thank you taylor for doing such a fabulous job uh guys that's pretty much the end of the episode but i will uh as per usual let you know how you can contact me and interact with me so if you don't mind is on facebook just type in if you don't mind uh instagram is if you don't mind podcast um if you feel like being on the show or having a chat just getting in touch that kind of thing you can reach me at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com um please rate review subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts that would be amazing and of course there is the show's patreon you can become a patron for as little as two dollars a month um i have a new ten dollar patron which is really exciting so thank you to jin rong for becoming a patron i really appreciate it um it's people like you who allow me to keep doing this and not go broke (laughs) so thank you so much guys as usual be kind to yourselves be kind to one another and when you can listen to someone else's story because it really is life-changing. Thanks so much. Bye.